fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome into the program. Man, what a day. The sparks flew, baby. Hopefully you've been paying attention. Pop that popcorn, kick back, and watch the craziness ensue because <laughs> it's only getting started, my friends, and it's going to be a long, drawn-out process, and the mainstream media will talk about nothing but what they want to focus on, which is Donald Trump is the most evil, horrible human being on the face of the earth, and that's where we start the program today. Holy cow, welcome into it. we got a lot to talk about. We will sprinkle in some of that conversation throughout the show today. We're not going to focus the entire program on it because there's nothing more to say. They charged him on 34 counts of bank fraud, and he claimed not guilty, and now we move on. And it's going to be political on both sides of the aisle, so we'll break it down here in just a little bit. But at the end of the day, his attorneys, right after he walked out of the courtroom and headed out to the airport, his attorneys did a little press briefing on the side of the street saying this. You understand this case? You understand this? As simple as this. A state prosecutor is prosecuting a federal election law violation that doesn't exist according to federal election law officials. It's as simple as that. That You could sum it all up like that. There it is. I don't know if you can sum up much easier than that, but his two attorneys, man, they're on fire. The feisty guys. They're, you can tell they're from New York, too. Pretty feisty, but saying that uh, they are they weren't surprised with what happened today. Were you surprised by anything in the indictment? No. How about you, Joe? Were you surprised? Yeah, I was surprised there were no facts in there. I mean, normally in an indictment, you have alleged facts. So they said that this was a false business record entry to aid and abet another crime without saying what the other crime was. There it is. We'll talk some more about that here in just a little bit. we got a lot to talk about. Bottom of the hour, we have uh, Sally Pipes. She is the president of the Pacific Research Institute. We're going to talk about government health care, the public option, how it's changed and evolved over the years. Obviously, the major consumption of the private economy and Obamacare when Barack Obama was in office years ago and starting off this a massive public option. Where is it today and what's it mean for the future of health care? We'll get into that here in just a little bit. But I don't want to waste any time. Actually, there's an event going on, even though we are on all over the place and I didn't even do my intro broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting. Uh, but while we are based out of Wichita, we have an event going on right here in town today. And we had to bring her on because this has been an ongoing issue, not just obviously in Wichita, but all over the country right now. And it's becoming an epidemic. And the question is, how do we resolve it? What's leading this issue? What's causing it? And how do we work to address this ongoing issue? And that issue is homelessness. And we see a massive increase of homeless individuals across the nation. And what's causing it? Is it the economy? Is it inflation? Is it drug issues and just making poor decisions? Is it, uh, what's the cause? Is it uh, a grand scale issue across the nation? Is it individualized based on cities across the nation? It's a fascinating conversation. We're happy and excited to have on the program. She's a filmmaker. She's a documentary producer of the documentary Beyond Homeless, Finding Hope. Excited to have on the program with us here in our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today. Mary Thurow is on the line with us here. Mary, how are you today? I'm just great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, I, I'm excited to have you on the program. We we love to talk about this program because it seems to be 
an ongoing issue. Whenever a city gets to a certain size, whenever uh, the the economy turns in some way, shape, or form, the biggest issue that we always hear about is a massive increase in homelessness. And even though we're outside of just the Wichita area for the radio program, the, I know the city of Wichita has been uh, trying to address this a lot lately, but it's been a growing concern. From what you've seen from the documentary that you've made and the research that you've seen and the presentation you're about to give tomorrow here in the Wichita area, talk about this and where is this homeless growth coming from across the nation? Well, thank you so much. So I grew up in Wichita, but I've lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for the past Mm. 40 years. And of course, there it's just really, really out of control. But I am disturbed to see it becoming so prevalent here in Wichita when I do visit. Um, What's driving it is a lot of things. I often say that there are many reasons for becoming homeless as there are individuals who experience homelessness. But a large driver of it is just, frankly, the breakdown in our families and our institutions. Um, A lot of it comes out of childhood trauma, um, some very horrific childhoods that I've been told about in my interviews with people experiencing homelessness. And when it's not addressed, that can manifest as mental illness, um, substance abuse to deal with it, uh, adult trauma, uh, adults coming out of the military or perhaps coming out of the hospital and getting addicted to the painkillers that they were prescribed. Um, Certainly economic downturn can be a contributing factor. So there are great many contributing factors. But it's becoming so prevalent in our streets um, is the real issue that we're dealing with. And I think that's a direct direct, uh, outcome from the shift in our government policies and how we address homelessness uh, across the country. Yeah, uh, it is concerning. Is there a is there a ratio of the number of homeless individuals on average across the nation based on, like you said, just average citizens who are maybe going through some issues, maybe having some mental health problems compared to, let's say, veterans? Because we hear a lot about veteran homelessness as well and veteran issues when they come back from overseas. Is there a priority on one or the other or is it just kind of even between the two? Well, there are a great many different segments of homelessness. I mean, the largest segment of homelessness are are single men, um, but there's family homelessness, there's youth homelessness, there's veteran homelessness, um, and so it's 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 unfortunately it's diverse, um, which we don't want it to be. But again, it's highly individualized. So we have to be addressing it on an individualized basis, and unfortunately, the way that federal policy, which has been shaped with most states and most localities marching in drumbeat to federal policy, is this one-size-fits-all solution based on the misnomer that the problem is homelessness, that is, people don't have a home, and so the solution is to give them a home. And that's not the underlying problem. That is a, that is a symptom um, of the problem. But the underlying problems, again, driving it are trauma, mental illness, addiction as well as a lot of other causes yeah um yeah, so it, like you said, you it doesn't to, really you solve have to be the dealing with those. Exactly. Yeah, you don't. You're not really addressing the underlying issue. If you're just like, hey, let's build someone a home and just give them a home, we're not solving the issue of what caused the homelessness in the first place. Are we starting to get to that understanding, or do we still have a ways to go on that concept? We've got a long ways to go on it. I think a majority of people understand that it's complicated. 
the politicians are very good at simplistic answers, and they once they've hit on one, they just like to stick with it no matter what the outcomes. Yeah. So 10 years ago, federal policy shifted 100% into what's called housing first, um, with a promise by President Obama at the time that in 10 years, homelessness would no longer exist. Well, it's 10 years later and homelessness nationwide is 44% higher. <laughs> so clearly that isn't addressing the problem. And the theory behind homeless for housing first, again, is that you give somebody a home, you've solved the problem. And the name housing first implies that something comes second. Yeah. And, the, and theoretically, what comes after that is services addressing the underlying issues. But unfortunately, the cost of the housing is so expensive and it takes so long to build that the supporting services never come. So all you're doing, even for those few people lucky enough to get housing, is transferring the problem indoors. So they're still culturally homeless, living indoors with the same problems they had unaddressed. And what happens is they either die at higher rates housed than the people who stay in the streets, or they fall out of the housing because they're just not, frankly, they're not prepared to live independently and they're not having their needs meet. So they let, they leave and go back into the street. So it's something that will never, um, will never address the problem and solve the problem. We need individualized solutions addressing the underlying problems. And our film, Beyond Homeless, Finding Hope, features a very good model that does exactly that. I love that. We'll talk about that a little bit. Before we get into that, though, I have to ask, on average, and I've heard different stats depending on, I guess, maybe where we're at across the nation, but how long, on average, is an individual homeless or considered homeless before they get back on their feet? Are we talking months? Are we talking years? I mean, what's the average? Well, there is no average. So there's a small segment of the population which experiences homelessness very briefly, and those tend to be families who have fallen into homelessness for economic reasons or so on Mm. um, and just need a little bit of help to get back on their feet, either um, job retraining or maybe they lost their ID and they need an ID or otherwise. And those are fairly quick fixes and can be um, stabilized and set back on their feet, you know, well within a year. Yeah. Um, the chronically homeless are those who are defined as being homeless for more than a year, and that's the vast majority of those experiencing homelessness. And of those, I mean, nobody really knows because, a lot, first of all, a lot of the numbers are self-reported from surveying people who are experiencing homelessness. But the better studies so that up to 80% of the people experiencing homelessness suffer from mental illness and or addiction. And the two are very intertwined because we now know that, you know, quote, only marijuana causes psychosis and the other opioids and others that we see so prevalent now, of course, only create more severe mental problems. And those who are mentally ill will use substance abuses to Mm -hmm. self-medicate. Even people who could become homeless for other reasons, once they're on the street, the living conditions are so unpleasant that studies show that within a week, they will have tried alcohol or drugs to kind of, again, self-medicate against the reality that they're now living in. But the unfortunate the result that within a few weeks, they're addicted. So we have a very big problem, and we're not addressing um, recovery as needs to be, as well as providing the mental health care 
that's very much needed to help people get stabilized and lead transformed lives. What a scary thought. We're talking with Mary Thoreau. She's the filmmaker, documentary maker of Beyond Homeless, Finding Hope, which you can find online at beyondhomeless.org. With the event coming up here in Wichita, actually, coming up tomorrow, the One Rise Health Campus Master Plan presentation. Uh, we got to take a uh, commercial break in just about a minute or so here, and I'd like you to stick around if you can uh, through the break. But talk about, kind of tease us, what, uh, what could you expect if you want to attend this presentation from you tomorrow? We have a short documentary that shows uh, the issues underlying homelessness, but then very importantly, features a model uh, that is operating at scale in San Antonio, Texas, that has essentially uh, resolved their homelessness crisis. And the people behind that model have been working here in Wichita to create the One Rise Health Campus. And they're going to be unveiling their plans tomorrow night following the screening of our 38-minute documentary at the Orpheum at 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. And it is open to the public. I love that. Let's take a break here, Mary. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Absolutely. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, I want to continue this and talk about some of those plans and those tips on what we can do to start addressing it if people around the country want to say, hey, you know, obviously you're coming from San Francisco and I don't don't know if they have it or not, but I remember seeing the stories about needing to download the poop app so that way you don't step in certain things when you're walking the streets of San Francisco. And uh, if that's the level that we're at in some areas of the country, then we have some serious work to do when it comes to the homelessness population across the nation. So let's address that when we come back here with the Dr. Documentary Beyond Homeless, Finding Hope. It's Mary Thurl. We'll talk about that. Plus, we have some more on Trump and the case going on in New York. Sally Pipes at the bottom of the hour. Big golly, it's almost like a voice of reason. Almost like we're bringing some common sense to each and every day. And we're going to cram it down your throat right here on the show. Stay tuned. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Freedom, common sense, rationale, reason. That's what we're all about here on this program. What's up? Welcome into it for the post-Monday celebration. Thanks for hanging out with us today, as always. We're hanging out right now with Mary Thurl. She's a filmmaker, documentary maker of Beyond Homeless, Finding Hope. As She's here right here on the home front where the flagship radio station is giving a presentation tomorrow on homelessness, the One Rise Health Campus Master Plan is going to be at the Wichita Orpheum Theater. And while obviously we have a lot of listeners all over the place, this is an issue that goes well beyond the city of Wichita. You're a native Wichita, however, you said, Mary, that you are in uh, residing in San Francisco right now. And I have to ask, are the stories true? Do you have to download a poop app to go to San Francisco to know where to go and where not to go? Yeah, just right before I answer that, let me also mention I'm also chairman and CEO of the Independent Institute uh, in California, which is an academic public policy research organization out of which the Beyond Homeless Initiative came. And people who can't come to the Orpheum tomorrow night can watch the film at beyondhomeless.org. Yes, there is a poop app in San Francisco um, created by popular demand because we do have a big problem as the documentary unfortunately shows, uh, with human filth in the streets. Um, It's understandable if people are left to live in the streets and there's no place, there aren't any restrooms, um, then they're left with with only the streets to use. So it's it's really a humanitarian crisis as well as, of course, being a 
a human uh, community crisis that has to be addressed. And unfortunately, our politicians are not our politicians yeah. are not addressing it. And that's why we got involved in this and why we're promoting um, alternative solutions that do address it effectively. I love it. I love it. And we got a few minutes here before the bottom of the hour. So let's talk about that. During your presentation, you mentioned that some some towns down in Texas are working on this. What are some of those tips? What are ways that cities across the nation can start addressing this issue? The state of Kansas, I know for a fact, tried to start investing in uh, kind of the family unit and trying to put PSAs out there, trying to promote the family unit without splitting up families and trying to encourage mental health awareness so that if you start seeing or uh, a feeling like an issue, you can get it treated right away so you don't get to this point. Is that part of this? I mean, what do we what do we do about this? The most important thing is for everybody to come out of their silos and work collaboratively and strategically. And that's what San Antonio did. Uh, A businessman reached out to the mayor. They came together across their political differences. They involved police, fire, EMS. Every one of the 134 nonprofits in the community that work on homelessness, they spent two years forming a new independent 501c3 that is transparent and accountable to the community and their donors. And they developed a strategic plan that resulted in the Haven for Hope campus that is a holistic, unified, individualized solution to everyone experiencing homelessness. And it's been going for 12 years. They've reduced unsheltered downtown homelessness by almost 80%. Uh, the community is thrilled. It's 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 enriched every part of it. It's reduced police costs and all kinds of uh, urban ills. It's really a model, and that's what Wichita and every other community needs to do. People have to come out of their silos and work together in community in solving their own community's problems uh, in that model. I love it. I love it. Bringing the community together and focusing on the issues at home. The nice thing about Wichita and other cities as well out there is that a lot of them still have that small town feel to it. So it's almost just the community giving that helping hand, helping out individuals that are in need and helping out your neighbor. Because when you do that, then the entire community benefits and flourishes from it as well. It is beyondhomeless.org. You can watch the live stream. You can get all the information there with the ongoing presentation that's set for tomorrow. Beyond Homeless finding hope. Mary, we appreciate the time very much, my friend. We'd love to get you back on again soon and talk about some more about this. Anytime. Thank you so much. Hey, appreciate it very much. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Sally Pipes, President Pacific Research Institute, will shift gears a little bit and talk about health care, along with the latest on the Trump indictment as well. Lots more coming this up. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Hey, thanks for hanging out today with us. Thanks for Mary Thurl coming on the program. Interesting conversation for sure. The homeless population, something that we definitely need to address and focus on across the nation. And it sounds like it goes a lot deeper, just like we're seeing across. Have you noticed every issue that we've talked about? Whether it's the military, whether it's national security, whether it is the shootings across the nation, whether it's homelessness, it comes down to addiction and mental health issues. 
The military then has obesity on top of that as well, which uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the news that they have lowered their standard to try to include more individuals there. So well done. Uh, just like our public education system, we don't raise the bar and try and get people to reach the bar. We lower the bar to try and get more people included in there. So that's interesting. We'll talk some more about that a little bit later. But uh, Sally Pipes, we're not able to get a hold of her right now. We, uh, we'll get her rescheduled because there is some... Lots of news going on that we'll jump into right now, so let's get into it. Let's do this thing. What's trending today? Obviously, the big news today of the arraignment, the evil arraignment of Donald Trump. Or the lawyers thereafter, the uh, indictment and the charges that were officially uh, laid out for Trump and Trump himself saying not guilty in that firm and steadfast voice that he has. Uh, the lawyers afterwards coming out and talking about the case. Were you surprised by anything in the indictment? No. How about you, Joe? Were you surprised? Yeah, I was surprised there were no facts in there. I mean, normally in an indictment you have alleged facts. So they said that this was a false business record entry to aid and abet another crime without saying what the other crime was. <laughs> Uh, that's all. That audio from uh, CNBC as they were broadcasting that one live as they were walking out of that one. So Donald Trump walked in, apparently got fingerprinted, did not get his photo taken or was a, uh, handcuffed or anything. Although prior to had sent out a tweet. Uh, see if I can find that tweet again. Here it is. Uh, beforehand saying, quote, very unfair venue with some areas that voted 1% Republican. This case should be moved to nearby Staten Island. Would be very fair and secure location for the trial. Additionally, the highly partisan judge and his family are well-known Trump haters. He was an unfair disaster on a previous Trump-related case. Wouldn't recuse. Gave horrible jury instructions and impossible to deal with during the witch hunt trial. His daughter worked for Kamala and now the Biden-Harris campaign kangaroo court as he laid that one out just prior to him walking into the courts earlier today went in there uh, the media was not in there so did not get a video however did get a few photos of him sitting there with his attorneys walked out and apparently he's set to make an announcement later on this evening will be interesting to see what he says during that time but the mainstream media man they were having a heyday they t of course yesterday we went from watching outside of trump tower to watching every move that he made the entire uh, motorcade all the way to the courthouse and then watching him go in the foolish media even tried to ask him, hey, as he was walking in, hey, can you talk to us for a minute, please? Donald Trump ignoring them, obviously. But as it was going on, they were trying to fill to talk about this issue and said they were a bit surprised on what's going on. I'm somewhat surprised. I, I think regarding the evidence and the discovery, I think it's often in cases like this and in other cases, judges put protective orders to prevent the defense or the prosecution from putting out uh, that evidence as uh, to ensure the fairness of the process and of the trial. So perhaps some sort of protective order on that evidence doesn't surprise me. What did surprise me was that Adam Reese and other reporters have been able to leave the overflow room <laughs> and to make calls during the hearing uh, in the public courtroom. So I guess they were able in the overflow room to come and go as they please and the doors were not restricted as it is in the courtroom. <laughs> Oh, man. Don't you love them trying to banter and fill time? Don't you love them just trying to make stuff up on the fly? They were talking, well, this is going a little bit slower than what we thought. We thought it'd be bam, 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 really high energy. We thought that, you know, fireworks would be coming out of the courthouse. We thought that Trump would be raging. We thought that we'd have to put a restraining order on him. We thought that there'd be like anarchy and burning down buildings in the streets. We were prepared for this and nothing's happening. There's people out there that are chanting on both sides of the aisle, protesting each other. That's expected. All right. Not a whole lot of stuff. Marjorie Taylor Greene stepping away from that for security reasons, her uh, uh, on 
entourage ended up leading her away from that after making a few statements. But there's nothing going on. Trump's not acting out. The MAGA people aren't acting out. This is a total bust, man. What the hell? We were ready for the ratings blowing up across the board, ready for something to happen, and it was a bust. Oh, so terrible. So terrible. The media not liking that. 34 counts, falsifying business records in the first degree. My understanding, it can be up to four years in prison, but it could be as little as zero if convicted. And remember that the Trump defense team is going to fight this tooth and nail and look to have these charges thrown out and, and fight it each step of the way. And Trump himself, according to Adam Reese, was the one who said not guilty in that courtroom. Peace so there you have it. If charged... On all 34 counts, which is not going to be the case, obviously, because we know that many of them hit the statute of limitations. Many of them are just completely false. Many of them are just dug up and just uh, ridiculous. But if that is the case, let's just say worst case scenario that he's charged on all 34 counts. Then what would happen? Uh, Potential max prison sentence of four years. You think Donald Trump's really going to spend four years in prison? Even if he is Donald Trump and the most hated man on the face of the earth, do you really think that he's going to be charged with all 34 counts and sit four years in prison. Do you really think that's going to happen? If that were the case, what's going to happen? He's going to pay a big fine, maybe get uh, you know an ankle bracelet, just go on house arrest for a little bit. And this, by the way, could drag out for over a year, which means they're just going to sit back. They're going to try and play the continued demonization of Donald Trump, and it's not going to go anywhere, and he'll pay the fine, and everything will be hunky-dory. He's speaking tonight. They did not gag him in any way, shape, or form, so that way he can continue to talk about it. He's still going to go to rallies, and it's going to gather tons of different, uh, tons of uh, supporters at all his rallies all over the country, and nothing's going to come up. It's the politicalization that we talked about earlier Here's the crazy part. One of the reasons you might want a protective order is if, in fact, you're still digging and in, you're still trying to get witnesses to cooperate. <laughs> uh, you're still trying to get uh, sort of the pieces of the puzzle to come together. You want to protect the integrity of the investigation while it's ongoing. Yeah. Hold on. Let me get this straight. You have years of investigation on Trump. You have this case that was dropped prior to this district attorney picking it up and trying to run with this one. 34 count. 34 counts. That's a lot to charge somebody on this. And you have a protective order on the case because the reasoning, what was that again? Because you don't have all the information. One of the reasons right? you might want a protective order is if, in fact, you're still digging and in, you're still trying to get witnesses to cooperate. Uh, you're still trying to get uh, sort of the pieces of the puzzle to come together. You want to protect <laughs> the pieces of the puzzle to come together. You're trying to prosecute one of the most well-known names on the face of the earth, a former president of the United States, and you're telling me that you drew up the charges without actually having all the details laid out, without having all the evidence for you to be able to do what you say that you want to do, without having all your ducks in a row, and you just file the charges. What it sounds like is that we're stretching for a little bit of desperation, because if it does take, for an example, an entire year to do the whole charge, if it does take that long, wouldn't you think you want to do it a little bit later so that way you could do the full year and get closer to election, actual election day? Maybe file this in like August, September, October. Do it around that time. Drag it out for a year so that way you can still have the protective order. You can drag this out and try and demon it all the way up to election day so that way at the very end, boom, sorry, you may be ahead in the polls. You may have gotten the nomination, but now we've sabotaged you completely and now you can't do anything about it. You would think that you would go down that direction because that's a, that's at the end of the day what you want. But you filed charges on a guy when you may not even have all of the information around. 
That's fascinating to me. When you say what his reaction was, what do you expect his reaction was? I mean, his reaction, his reaction was exactly what would happen if it happened to anybody that I'm looking at now or anybody that's hearing what you're saying. Um, he's, he's frustrated, he's upset, but I'll tell you what, he's motivated and it's not gonna stop him and it's not gonna slow him down. And it's, it's exactly what he expected. And so to that extent, there's no surprise, but he's also, he's also, he's also upset and frustrated and disappointed and mad that this happened. Well, of course he is. Of course he's upset. Now, media, Michael Cohen, those on CNN, they've been saying the last couple of days that he's quivering in his boots, that he's terrified of this, that he doesn't want it to happen. He, they knew this was coming. He was the one that tweeted out two weeks before the announcement even came, and then they backed off and held off for a couple of weeks before they actually did the official indictment. He knew it was coming. Why? Because he's always two steps ahead of the mainstream media, which, again, is kudos to Donald Trump, because since then, in the five days, four days, whatever it's been since the announcement on Thursday last week, he's raised over $7, $8 million in campaign contributions, and he's walking into this knowing he's done nothing wrong, but apparently... Uh, for those that are curious about what the actual indictments are, since they have some of them at least have been released to the public, is that there are two charges of paying off women before the 2016 presidential election. Not just one, but now dose. One of them, obviously, Stormy Daniels, the adult film star. The second one was a Playboy model by the name of Karen McDougal, uh, McDougal, where they say they have an adult film tape with Donald Trump. In a bid to keep the stories from affecting Trump's chances against Democrat Hillary Clinton in 2016, and the payoff happened at that time. Whether that's true or not, the only way, and again, I don't know the details of these cases, obviously, as most of us do not, the only way that this is actually a federal crime in any way, shape, or form, or a violation of election law is if he used campaign contributions to pay them off. If he did not, then there's no crime here. You can pay off whoever you want to with your own personal money. You just can't do it with campaign finance, uh, campaign uh, money that's directly for the Trump for 20, uh, 2016 campaign. Outside of that, that's all it is. And what it sounds like, according to the attorneys that have been on different mainstream media and different news outlets talking about this case, is that the majority of what these 34 counts are are just uh, uh, reports and different paperwork that were misprinted, mislabeled, whatever. And those aren't actual violations or charges. You just fill those out, pay a little fine, boom, you're done, end of story, move on. This has been drug out so badly. But the media, man, they had nothing else apparently to cover, even though there's a lot of other things to talk about and cover right now. They had to watch the motorcade get there, watch every move, and drive away. We'll see what he says tonight when he does his live feed. We'll see if we can't get Sully Pipes on the program for the next segment. We'll cover some more of this when we come back as well. It's a post-Monday celebration. Lots to talk about. Stay right here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Andy Hoosier here, reminding you not only can you listen to The Voice of Reason on your favorite radio station, but also check out the video of the program on TV and online. We're excited to be working with our partners over at OpsLens to bring The Voice of Reason live every day on their website at OpsLens.com, on the OpsLens app that you can download on any of your smartphones, or on any of the OpsLens social media. It's a great network that broadcasts multiple shows promoting truth, reason, and common sense, reaching thousands of viewers every day, all day long. Plus, while you're there, you can always watch some of the best highlights of the show during the weekends 
or read our latest opinion columns on topical issues of the day. Also, if you want to interact with me during the program, just leave a comment on their social media or the OpsLens app stream. You can always join the live chat rooms, or if it's easier, just email me at network at gmail.com. Again, that's network at gmail.com. This is your show, and we want to hear from you. Why? Because it's time for you to be your own voice of reason in your own community. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Using language that incites... Guys, here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the insufficiency of this case. And I will say this to you. Today's unsealing of this indictment shows that the rule of law died in this country. Because while everyone is not above the law, no one's below it either. And if this man's name was not Donald J. Trump, there is no scenario we'd all be here today. Please understand that based on these charges. (laughs) Boy. I love those guys. I love his attorneys because they just don't take no crap. And they have to be feisty like that because they'll just get walked all over with what's going on against Donald Trump right now. So the two, apparently two of the 34 cases of the business fraud that was committed apparently was the paying off of two different uh, women during the election. One of them, obviously, Stormy Daniels. The other one, this Playboy model by Karen McDougal, which... I saw the uh, well done uh, listener, Scott, for the comment that Donald Trump has to pay off a an adult film store and a Playboy model. And all Bill Clinton got was Monica Lewinsky. Well done. Well done. That's uh, <laughs> we can see the levels here. We can see the standards of if you're going to go down that road, you can see the levels of uh, the Republicans and the Democrats on that front. Not that it's right. Anyway, in case you're for him, you know what? Uh, Donald Trump may not have the most uh, uh, family friendly lifestyle if you want to put it that way. But guess what? He grew up as a billionaire. And when you're a billionaire like that, outside of being a super awesome dude and working with construction guys and not having that elitist kind of head mindset, he did realize that he could pretty much pay off any woman that he wanted to. Now talk about the moral corruption there all you want to, which I'm right there with you. That's not the best way to live your life uh, for the family values and the down-home kind of feel. However, that doesn't break any laws. Judge him based on his character and his moral standards. Don't base them on a legal stance because there is no legal stance here in any way, shape, or form. Unless, again, like I said, unless he paid for it from the campaign finance laws, which doesn't sound like was the case. So what are we talking here? The While some of them were released with some of these indictments, the other ones were not. They held back on some of those as well. So the question is, what are those? And the reason that the prosecution held back on some of those is because apparently, according to CNBC, which is the ones that said that, apparently that they don't have all the information yet. One of the reasons you might want a protective order is if, in fact, you're still digging and you're still trying to get witnesses to cooperate. Uh, You're still trying to get uh, sort of the pieces of the puzzle to come together. You want to protect the integrity of the investigation while it's ongoing. They protect the integrity of the investigation at its ongoing. I'm sure Democrats are very good at doing that, especially when it comes to Donald Trump, where they just leak things left and right. They leaked things daily out of his administration just to try and sabotage and just came up with wild stories when nothing was even there in any way, shape or form. You had a lady during the January 6th hearings that said that Trump literally tried to attack a Secret Service agent in the motorcade by choking them, going for the clavicles, and then trying to take the steering wheel because he was desperate to get to the protests on January 6th. Anybody that believes that needs a psych evaluation themselves. 
Hold on, I'm gonna pro. I'm gonna Google something while we're doing the show here. Protests in New York City, Trump. I'm just gonna see what happens here. Uh, let's see. ABC, it's because again, remember, this is Google, so they're going to make the worst case scenario here as well. While all the law enforcement was on high alert, the media uh, trying to watch this nonstop, ready for the violence from the right wing nut jobs, the MAGA hat wearing, Bible thumping, gun toting Republicans that were ready to cause anarchy and burn down the streets. Unlike what, you know, Antifa and the Black Lives Matter organizations do. Uh, let's see what kind of violence that they had here. Uh, top stories on this today. Four hours ago, Trump protests. Small group of former uh, president's supporters foes face off ahead of court appearance. Small group of former president's supporters and foes face off. Uh, story number two, that one's from ABC New York. ABC News Nationally, Trump New York protests. Small group of former protests, uh, same thing. The Guardian, Trump gets underwhelming underwhelming show of support outside of New York courts. Oh, he's losing support. Losing support. Uh, that's it. I don't see any stories about businesses being raided. I don't see anything about people getting hurt. I don't see anything about the next January 6th event, the overthrowing of New York City, attacking of law enforcement, beating up people in the streets, burning up, you know, car dealerships. I don't, I don't see any of it, man. And it's already done. I didn't see any of that. I don't say the news would be covering it. You would think, right? Didn't happen. Craziness how that works. Donald Trump is going to be making a speech later on tonight. And according to his lawyers, will not be holding back. We'll be talking about the details of the cases, the grander scheme of things, the failure of our justice system, a heck of a lot more. Curious on what he's going to say on those. We'll cover that tomorrow when we come back on the program as well. Until then, keep your head up high. It's all the show. Tune out the mainstream media because they are trying to keep you in that state of paranoia and fear constantly. And guess what? It ain't going to work. We'll do some more of that again tomorrow. Until then, be your own voice for reason. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.